Welcome to Word for Wednesday. This is Rita Langland, your host from Hidden with Christ Ministries in Lynchburg, Virginia. Today, I want to share a message with you entitled, What to Do and What Not to Do in a Crisis. We're going to take our Bible text from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And in this particular section of scripture, we are going to examine the story of a crisis that was faced by the king of Judah, King Jehoshaphat, and how he handled it. And we will find some spiritual secrets that we can apply to our own lives today. Now, what is a crisis? The Oxford Dictionary describes it or defines it this way, as a time of danger, difficulty, or doubt when problems must be solved and important decisions must be made. Well, King Jehoshaphat was faced with a sudden crisis. Not all crises are sudden. Some of them build up over time. You can see them coming. You see a situation deteriorating. It might be a work situation, a financial situation, a marriage situation, or a a health problem that's deteriorating until it reaches a point of crisis where decisions must be made. This particular crisis that we find in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is one of a sudden nature. It happened quite suddenly. It shocked the king when the news came came that there was a multitude uh, coming against him. Let's start reading at verse 2 of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Aram, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a period of fasting throughout Judah. Well, the first thing we can observe is that when King Jehoshaphat was presented with this sudden crisis situation appearing on the horizon, the scripture tells us in verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid. You know, the spirit of fear, which is one of the many, uh, you could say, weapons that the devil, Satan, uses against people, the spirit of fear, tries to grip a person when they are shocked, surprised, stunned by some crisis happening. In this case, being told that a massive army is marching against the kingdom of Judah and King Jehoshaphat caused the king to suddenly be gripped with fear. But in the very same sentence, we are told that though he was afraid, Jehoshaphat was afraid, it says in verse 3, and, and the next words are, turned his attention to seek the Lord. So he immediately pursued the Lord in prayer and fasting, as it says, he proclaimed a period of fasting throughout Judah. So though he was suddenly gripped with fear, his first go-to wasn't, let's fix this, let's try to do something. It was immediately to go to the Lord with it. That needs to be our first response when we are faced with the crisis, immediately to go to the Lord with it. So here is what the king did. 
He chose immediately to pray, but it's critical for us to examine how the king of Judah prayed. And I say this because I have known many Christians over the years who will immediately pray, but their prayers don't sound like faith-filled petitions brought before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, whom they love and serve. Instead, they almost sound like accusations against God as as if he didn't care or wasn't paying attention to their life. That is not the way that the King of Judah prayed. In fact, the very first thing he didn't say, as many people will do, where are you, God, or why did you let this happen? Which basically implies when we do that, when we cry out almost in anger at God for allowing some crisis to happen in our lives, as if God was the author, which he is never the author. He is not the author of destruction or disaster. We live in a fallen world and things happen in this world that are a result of sin, not God's hand doing it, but people's choices, bringing about difficult situations for other people. And even we do things ourselves that end up resulting in things that we don't want in our lives. But King Jehoshaphat did not approach God with that attitude of, where are you, God? How could you let this happen to your people whom you love? He did not do that at all. In fact, the first thing he did was acknowledge to God that he alone was powerful. His words are so profound in verse 6. It says, These, this is how Jehoshaphat prayed, power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. So the first thing he did was acknowledge that God was all-powerful, that, that that's who he was, and that that's who the king acknowledged him as being the all-powerful God. And then secondly, King Jehoshaphat reiterated, remembered, and recalled to the Lord things that God had done in the past for his people. He said, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land from your people, Israel, and give it to the descendants of your friend Abraham forever? So he reminds God of the great things he's done in the past. And he points out that this relationship that Judah is and Israel have with God is through their spiritual ancestor, Abraham. And he, so he's not accusing God, but he's reminding God of the great things he's done. He's saying to God, I acknowledge you are the one with all the power. But then thirdly, after acknowledging who God is, he says, he begins to present the problem to the Lord that they are facing and asks for God's intervention, but not before he acknowledges who God is to him and in relationship with him. That is an important piece for us as we pray, how we approach the Lord. This problem, of course, God was quite aware of. And when we bring our petitions to the Lord, we know he already knows what's going on. But it's still important that we bring our petitions to the Lord and we are encouraged to do so throughout Scripture. And especially in the New Testament, we are told to bring our petitions to the Lord with thanksgiving and make our requests known to God. Well, here... In uh, chapter 20 of Second Chronicles, we see 
uh, where the king begins to describe the problem and ask for intervention. Look at verse 10, and you'll see this. Now behold, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you did not allow Israel to invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, for they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. This is an important line that we'll talk about in a moment. See how they're rewarding us by coming out to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless. So he acknowledges they are unable to do anything about it. We are powerless before this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. He acknowledges they don't have the wisdom, nor do they have the strength, the might, or the manpower to deal with the problem. But then he says one of the most precious things, and we need to do this as well. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So King Jehoshaphat brings the problem, explains it, Again, the Lord already knew about it, but he brought something to the Lord that was critical that will cause God to respond. And it's the same with us when we pray. He he brought the point that what was happening to them was a case of someone trying to drive them out of the inheritance that God had given them. Do you know that when the enemy of your soul, Satan, tries to steal, rob, kill, destroy something in your life, that he is basically doing exactly the same thing. He is trying to drive you out from your possession, which God has given you as an inheritance. We are told in Galatians chapter 3 that the blessings of Abraham are intended to come upon the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So there are many blessings described in the Bible that belong to Abraham and his descendants. And as Christians, we are spiritual descendants of Abraham because we've also placed our trust in the Lord and God has done it through our faith in Christ Jesus to bring about this spiritual inheritance uh, that that belonged to Abraham and his seed. Well, when the devil tries to steal your health, tries to destroy your finances, tries to ruin your marriage, tries to intervene and, and destroy your relationship with your children or any other promise of the Bible of the blessings, and you can look them up in Deuteronomy 28, blessings of physical nature, of financial nature, of of family nature, of marriage and children, all those things. They were blessings that were intended for those who followed the Lord. And here the enemy was trying to take away, in this case in Second Chronicles 20, the land, the promised land that God had given to them as an inheritance. And we have a promised land of blessed inheritance as well. And it is spiritual and it is physical as well. And when the devil tries to take it from you, you can pray and say, look, the, the enemy of my soul is trying to take, drive me out from having my possession of the inheritance that you won for me on the cross through your precious blood. So we can come just like King Jehoshaphat did, but we come with the New Testament revelation of what 
inheritance belongs to us, and we are able to present the problem in that light to the Lord when we pray. But now look at the very last thing that King Jehoshaphat did that was going to bring a response from God. First, we know he acknowledged God was powerful. Secondly, he reiterated the things God had done for them in the past. Thirdly, he presented the problem and asked for God's intervention. But lastly, he waited with the people on the Lord for God's instructions. This is a key principle because in our fast-paced society, waiting has not been something that people have been able to easily do. You could say waiting is not a, a discipline that has been something that we have cultivated in our fast-paced society. And yet waiting on the Lord was a critical piece here and receiving an answer from the Lord. It says this in verse 13 of 2 Chronicles 20, all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. So King Jehoshaphat prayed, offered up these prayers, and then they waited for God to give them instruction. And the Lord answered. He answered when the Spirit of the Lord came upon a prophet who brought them the very instructions from the Lord that they needed to handle the crisis they were facing. And God will do the same for you. But listen to this because we can apply it to any crisis that we face. Listen to the wisdom of God that was spoken through the prophet's mouth straight from the Lord. He said this in verse 15, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. You need not fight in this battle. Take your position. Take your position. Stand and watch the salvation of the Lord in your behalf, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Now, there is a lot in those verses, but I'm going to pull out a few vital keys that we need when we are in a crisis the first one was very simple. God told them, don't fear. Now you may say to me, when I get bad news and it's a crisis, how am I not supposed to be afraid? Even King Jehoshaphat was struck with fear. Well, fear will try to come upon you, that's for sure. But you can reject it or you can accept it. You can embrace it. Yes, I'm afraid. I'm shaking in my boots over this. Or you can say, I refuse to fear because I serve a God who is all powerful, able to deliver, able to rescue, and has done it for me before. And I believe and trust he'll do it again. That's the position you need to take when fear comes knocking at your door or tries to grab you and throttle you because you just heard bad news. I refuse to fear. The Lord says this to you, do not fear or be dismayed, which means to be discouraged and downcast and overwhelmed. Don't allow yourself to be discouraged, downcast, or overwhelmed because of what you see. The scripture says, because of this great multitude, referring to the enemy armies coming at them, because of what you can see with your eyes, do not fear or be dismayed. 
That's a choice we have to take. You could say, I can't stop myself from fearing. You can, because fear is not your nature. Fear is the spirit that tries to grab you. You have to reject it. Say, I refuse to fear. I have a God who's bigger than this problem. That has to be the position that you take every single time you are faced with bad news or some crisis looming on the horizon of your life. The second thing that was told to him was you don't need to fight in the battle, meaning you do not have to physically engage hand-to-hand combat. They did not have to be uh, engaging the enemy themselves. They were to let the Lord do it. But how were they to do that? This was the critical key. Listen to this. Take your position. Now, that wasn't about stand over here. It was take your position. What is your position when a crisis comes knocking upon your door, the door of your life? What is your position? And then I'm going to tell you what that position is because King Jehoshaphat got the revelation of what the position had to be when they stood the next day to face that enemy army. We'll talk about that in a minute. Just remember, take your position. Stand. That means to remain steadfast, persevering in that same position. You're going to remain steadfast. You're not going to be shaken. You're not going to be rocked by what you see with your eyes. You're going to remain steady, stand. And then the result will be you will watch the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. The salvation, that word salvation means rescue or deliverance. Whatever God's going to do to rescue or deliver you in your crisis, you're going to get to see it with your eyes if you don't try to fight it in your own flesh and you take your position and you stand firm in that position until you see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. That is the critical element. And then he reiterated, do not fear, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Now, that was the night before the big standoff with that ar- the enemy army, when they were going to come face to face. What position were they to take? That's the key that we need to know. King Jehoshaphat obviously got this revelation sometime during the night, because by the next morning, he was able to give the people of Judah explicit instructions. And I call what I'm about to share with you a hidden spiritual secret of the Bible. It's not something no one's ever heard of. We've heard of it. We accept it, but we don't see the spiritual power of it. I say it's hidden spiritual power in what I'm about to tell you. It, like I said, it's something we all accept and think is a good idea, but we don't realize the spiritual power that's attached to it if we really embrace it. Listen to this. King Jehoshaphat in verse 21 gave the following instructions. He appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire. So there was these certain people that were like priests that were assigned in the temple to for just to be worshipers and those who would sing to the Lord, the singers, sons of Asaph. And they were, he took that group and he put them in front of the army. Can you imagine in front of the soldiers were going to be these singers? 
Well, that's kind of bizarre. They have no weapons, at least from all appearances. The guys with the weapons that you hold in your hand were behind them, but they had a weapon, a spiritual weapon that was going to actually do the job on the army. Here's what they did. It said that the king gave these instructions that they should stand in the front of the soldiers. And as they went out in front of the army, they were to do the following. This is a quote from verse 21. They were to give thanks to the Lord for his faithfulness is everlasting. That was the spiritual secret. They were going to give thanks because the Lord is faithfulness is everlasting. Give thanks. Now, why do I say that this is a hidden spiritual secret of the Bible? I say that because it's something that people think, yeah, we should give thanks to God. We should have a grateful heart. It's good. We've been talking about that for weeks on Word for Wednesday, but we often don't realize that God has actually, you could say, infused spiritual power into this thing called giving thanks or making an offering of thanksgiving. There is spiritual power in it. What For what should you give thanks in the middle of a crisis? Let's just look at that. What are you going to give thanks for? You have a multitude coming against you. You have no way to fight them. You don't have enough people. You don't have enough guns. They didn't have guns. Weaponry. You don't have enough weapons. You don't have enough help to fend off the army that's coming against you. Maybe you have a financial crisis. You have no way of resolving. You have a health crisis that looks like it's just going to end in death. You might have a marital crisis that you have no way of solving. And yet here you are, a believer, and God is giving you a key to spiritual secret that has power attached to it that will change the circumstance you are facing right now. Do you need your crisis to be averted? Do you need your whole circumstance to change? Then take a a serious look at this, take hold of this, and let's use it and see God do miracles. Listen to this. King Jehoshaphat got this revelation that if they would go forward and stand and take up the position of offering thanks, that's the position, offering thanks to God in the middle of the crisis, if they would do that, then the Lord, they would be able to watch with their eyes how the Lord was going to deliver them. Here's what happened when they did that. When they began singing and praising and thanking, because that was what they were doing, thanking, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were struck down. Note that the army soldiers never had to throw a spear or shoot an arrow. All that happened here was they stood behind those who were giving thanks to the Lord for his faithfulness. And when they did that, the Lord intervened. God did a supernatural miracle, set ambushes against them. What kind of ambush? Well, he's got legions of angels. He did something that caused this ambush where suddenly they are being struck down. And then the crazy part of this story that I love 
For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against their fellow soldiers from the other place called Mount Seir, and they completely destroyed them. In other words, they turned on one another. And when they finished fighting with those guys from Seir, they started killing each other until they were destroyed. So God set up an ambush that could only have been accomplished by the Lord. Why does this work where you offer a thanksgiving, an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord, and God responds by moving on your behalf, mightily, supernaturally, dramatically, changing the entire landscape of what is a crisis and causing it to be turned around completely, removed out of your life. Why would this work? Why why did it work then? And why will it work today? Well, I'll tell you why. Psalm 50 verse 23 gives us a tremendous revelation. And this is from God himself. In the NASB version, Psalm 50 verse 23, first part says, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And you know, the word of God tells us God honors those who honor him. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. That's what the Lord said in Psalm 50 verse 23. But I'm going to give you two versions of that verse that you probably have never heard of, but they are so profound and they really give the secret. This is from the EHV, which is called the Evangelical Heritage Version. You've probably never read that one, but listen to this. The one who sacrifices a thank offering honors me and he sets up the way for which I will show him the salvation of God. By offering the thanksgiving offering, we set up the conditions in which God can move on our behalf and show that person the salvation, rescue, deliverance of God. That is fantastic. Here is from the EXB version. It's called the Expanded Bible. And it says this, those people honor me who bring me offerings to show thanks. And I, God, will save those who do this. Do you have a problem right now? Maybe it's a serious crisis. Do you need God to intervene on your behalf? Take up your position of offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God for his faithfulness, past and present. Then stand firmly, persevering in that thanksgiving to the Lord until you see the salvation, the rescue, the deliverance of God in your crisis. This is a hidden spiritual secret where there is power that has been untapped by so many people in this offering of thanksgiving to the Lord in the midst of a crisis. God wants to intervene on your behalf. Take your position. Offer up the sacrifice of thanksgiving in the middle of your crisis, and you will see God intervene on your behalf. Scriptures in today's message, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and Psalm 50 verse 23. Don't forget, we have a great free resource called My Everyday Bible. It is a free Bible app that can be found in the Google Play Store or the App Store for Apple devices. 
You can also find it at myeverydaybible.com. It will take you through the entire Bible in one year with a devotional at the end of each reading. I know you will love it, and it is completely free. Check it out, myeverydaybible.com.